Good day and welcome to the Cincy Slangin' Bearcat Podcast. I'm Coomer, joined as always by Hummer. Hummer, what's up, buddy? Everybody, we are all living in Travis Kelsey's world, uh, or is it his world? Is he being lifted up, lifted up onto the pedestal of fa- of fame and, and greatness by the one and only Queen Taylor Swift? Uh, I don't know about you. I'm, I'm I'm I've watched Barbie this summer. I'm ready for the Travis and Taylor Barbie set. Uh, I'm here for it. That being said, it's a great day to be a Travis Kelsey fan. <laughs> we are we are really just living in his world. We're all living in Taylor Swift's world. Let's be honest. She attends a football game and it's treated like uh, Princess Diana's first trip to Australia. It's it's unbelievable hysteria watching her, frankly, perform fandom in the box of the Kansas city chiefs. She was celebrating a relatively meaningless Travis Kelsey, Kelsey touchdown in the second half that probably put the chiefs up by about 38 points at the time. She celebrated that as if he was catching a touchdown in the AFC championship game to send the chiefs to the super bowl. Realize they were playing the worst team in the NFL from last season. It was the second half of a game that was already a blowout. There were zero stakes. And she was screaming, let's fucking go. Stomping on the soles of Chicago Bears fans everywhere as Travis Kelsey caught another touchdown and what's becoming quite a historic career. But honestly, it's I don't know what's happening. I'm not sure they're actually dating Hummer. I'm not sure it's a real relationship in any way, shape or form. But I do know that the Kelsey brothers had already taken over the podcast game from a sports standpoint. This is one of one of, if not the most popular podcast in sports media. Now he's dating Taylor Swift. They're playing chess, my friend. The Kelsey's are playing chess. And this is just (laughs) another step in that direction, whether or not the romance is real, which in all likelihood, it's not. I'm not going to comment on on the romance you know, maybe, maybe I want to develop a bromance. I'm just wishing this into existence uh, with, with Taylor Swift. But here's what I'm here for. Whether or not it's a real relationship, I'm here for the extra Kelsey merch. We got fresh unis I hear coming down the pipeline. A, 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 uh, what am I trying to say? A special edition Travis Kelsey Bearcat u- uniform being released. The amount of cash grabs that the University of Cincinnati is going after right now is at an all-time high. And this is just another savvy, shrewd, shrewd Nick Boroff-esque move by the University of Cincinnati. <laughs> just absolutely shrewd, releasing that kind of, with, with this kind of hype surrounding it. Do we get Jersey's, Taylor Swift at Nipper? Does she come to Nip at Night one? Are the Chiefs well, out of bye week? Do we, get, do we get her at Nip at Night? Check the Chiefs' schedule. When is their bye week? <laughs> And is there an outside chance that Travis Kelsey would come home for homecoming? Because if that's the case, it sounds like she's heading to uh, 
the home game for her out in New York as they play the, the Jets this coming week. Maybe Taylor's coming to Cincinnati. Maybe she'll be strolling down Clifton Avenue, living the dream in, a, in this platonic oddball of a relationship with Travis Kelsey as they both continue to promote their, their separate media takeovers. Because let's not forget, Taylor Swift has this movie coming out in a couple of months, maybe less than a couple of months. Um, that's essentially a production and a feature of the Eras Tour. We're being played, but you know what? I'm enjoying being played. Play me like a fiddle. I'm ready to be played. Uh, all right. Wait, is this, is this football? Oh, is this this is an old schedule? What am this is? We have November. We radio. have November 11th. We have November 18th. But we're both we're away for both of those games. They have a week 10 bye. So week 10, I don't know what what actual date that lines up to, but week nine is the as uh, the November 5th. Week 11 being November 20th. So it looks like the stars are not going to align. It would have to be probably an away game. Well, don't get greedy. There's no reason to get greedy. And here we are, five minutes, 23 seconds into recording this podcast. It's supposed to be a 60-second bit. Where's the 60 seconds on Travis Kelsey we're, and, we're and Swift? But, but look, we're I'm a stuck on what can I say? Swift. We're stuck on Taylor. We're, we're stuck on the Kelseys. I don't, I don't know how you can't be. All right? You got the biggest stars in the sports media landscape, and you got the biggest star in the pop music world. Music world, period. Um, huge news for Cincinnati Bearcats everywhere. Des Ritter acknowledged it at his, at his press conference. It's, I mean, maybe it, this university might be hotter than it's ever been on the back of the love life of a former tight end. Just remarkable stuff. Uh, the, the best one I saw was Bill Belichick. I don't know if this is true or not. This could be one of those fake quotes. Uh, but if it's true, it went along the lines of, you know, Travis Kelsey paraphrasing your head, you know, he's had a really great career, makes a lot of good catches, but you know, with Taylor Swift, this is the, this is the greatest catch of his career. <laughs> Look, Bill Belichick's made a career being right. He's, he's right again. It's a big catch. It's a big moment. Jersey sales skyrocket followers skyrocket. And I'm sure the podcast dollars are following as well. Let it be known, folks, by the way, that I I trace back the New Heights podcast to the Slangin' Podcast Network. Isn't I maintain that we are the true inspiration. We are the, maybe inspiration is the wrong word, but we had a short-lived podcast that we produced for a good friend of the podcast, Corey Sims. And one of the guests that he had on that podcast, I think it might have been the last episode, second to last episode, was Jason Kelsey. And I remember I'm kind of in the background of the podcast, listening to them banter about baseball and the rules and changing. I mean, they're just talking like friends. These guy, guys were very, very good friends in college. And I'm just listening to them talk to each other. And at the end of it, Jason talks about how fun it was and how great podcasts were. And you know, it's something I've kicked around, maybe doing in the future. Who knows? We'll see what happens. Fast forward a few months. He and his brother have the most, well, it's not a few months. Fast forward a few months. They start a podcast from scratch and now have the most popular podcast in America. It's those guys, anything they do, anything they touch is gold. 
And uh, mm. yeah, it's just a, it's a remarkable story. I can't believe it. And uh, I am guilty of caring too much about the whole thing. Even my wife, I said, you know, that, that tight end went to Cincinnati, you know, and she looked at me rolled her eyes and just thought, you've never seen more pathetic in your life. Stop. Look, it's bad I enough. Mean, you're watch I have to sit here and watch you watch football, but now you're watching football, caring about the, you know, romantic interplay between who's in the box and who's on the field. Just stop. You're pathetic. It's, it, it, it's not pathetic. It isn't. At the end of the day, what's really cool about that is Travis Kelsey right now is arguably the most, without Taylor Swift even being in the conversation here, is one of the, if not the most famous NFL football player right now. He's everywhere. He's in all the commercials. He's national commercials. He, his He's not more fam everywhere. famous than his quarterback. His quarterback is the most famous football player in the world right now. Not anymore. Maybe maybe it is true. Swifty did elevate him. She <laughs> elevated him. Uh, but either way, it, that is really cool. If you think about it, from a UC fan standpoint, like one of our players is the second most famous NFL football player right now. Right. One of our players is on, you know, a generational talent when it comes to being a defensive back in Sauce Gardner. Like we, we talked about players. this Bearcats. Yeah. Look, we don't, we don't have the, the straight up volume of like an Alabama or an Ohio state in terms of number of players in the NFL. When our players make the NFL, they become the best goddamn players at their position <laughs> and the most charismatic players in the NFL. All right. That's what Bearcat players do. That's what Bearcats football is all about. Your face is frozen. Tabloids and football. That's what Cincinnati <laughs> does. Dude, the computer's gone completely haywire. I don't know if we're going to make it through this. We're going to have to see. Well, maybe we should transition swiftly to the lead that has been buried for 10 minutes. Are you still trying? I don't know. My computer's giving me like the spiral of death. The visuals are frozen. We're going to keep powering through Hummer. We're just going to hope for the best. Um, we probably should talk about some football. We probably should talk about Cincinnati Bearcats sports. It's what this podcast cares about. Let's talk about the Cincinnati Bearcats bouncing back um, from a devastating defeat at the hands of the Miami Redhawks, a loss that will carry you know tremendous weight and pain and anguish for decades into the future. And they bounce back with a close loss, a closer than expected loss to the Oklahoma Sooners, who came into town ranked 16th in the country, end up winning the game 20 to 6. Red zone struggles continue. The offense moved the ball, but did not move the ball with any sort of reward at the end of the rainbow. So where do we start when talking about this Bearcat performance against the Oklahoma Sooners? Because I do think there's much to be desired in terms of what we saw in the field, but there, not all of us lost. There were good Good moments, good players, good performances within this game, but it was far from perfect. So where do you want to start with the game that you were actually attending in person, the one Cincinnati Bearcat game you will see all season? 
well, not the only one I'll see him. Yeah, you did say in person. You, you you had the right qualifier there. I'd say let's start with the good. You know, let's let's start with the defense. You know, aside from a third and nineteen, I think on the on the two yard line where I think Alabama was just attempting a or Alabama, <laughs> Oklahoma was attempting a, a punch out that went for a first down. The defense was was good. We were we were more than in it at half, right? We were a missed field goal away from being down one going in the half. Instead, we, we went in down four. You know, that, the fact that, you know, they kept us in that game, they were giving us opportunities to, to win the game by, you know, to causing turnovers, by causing three, by causing punts. Like it was, it was a really good performance from the defense. It was really good to see them step up. And it does give you a little bit of hope going forward that you know Oklahoma is probably the best team we're going to play all year with a with a lighter schedule on on the back end of from the conference standpoint that maybe we can squeeze out some some victories if the defense plays the way they did um so that's where i would start is is how good the defense played and it was just i, I don't i don't know where else i'd want to start if i'm going to move on after that i think we should wait cuz you know that's where the criticism i think gets a little harsh when we move to the, the yeah no let's let's linger there linger there for a minute on what we actually liked about the game because you're right the the defense i wouldn't call it perfect you know the first half it was very soft um i wouldn't say that i thought oklahoma was imposing their will necessarily but our secondary which has been a theme since Kerry coombs took over leading that unit played incredibly soft um, meaning just soft off the receivers. They were not pressing. They were not um, trying to create tight windows for Dylan Gabriel. It seemed like they were desperate to not get beat over the top. And when I think about the performance against Miami, it could be a direct response to getting beat downfield several times against an inferior Miami opponent. And we're not going to let the more talented wide receivers for Oklahoma do this. Um at the hands of Dylan Gabriel, who is truly an arch nemesis of our university at this point. It, it was nice to play him again. I, it's unfortunate that he got a win at Nippert Stadium when this has truly been a house of horrors for him throughout his career. But if there was a if there was a blemish on that defensive performance in the first half for me, it was that we were giving, we were making it a little too easy for Dylan Gabriel. I think he showed moments where he he doesn't have the ability to consistently deliver and connect at, on the high leverage throws. Throws downfield, he missed big time. Throws in the red zone, he missed big time. We should have put more onus on Dylan Gabriel to beat us over the top because I'm not sure he actually would have. And it would have been nice to see if our defensive line with our, with our secondary, our corners, and our safeties pressing a little bit more, could we have forced him into a critical mistake that would have flipped the momentum of the game. Instead, it seemed like Oklahoma was getting yardage at will, moving down the field. We came up with some timely stops, timely turnovers, but ultimately, you know, Oklahoma was was generally in a safe position throughout this, the entirety of this game. And it's not technically the entirety fault of the defense, but it is the reality of the, the flow of the game. They were in control of this game from start to finish. Yeah, I mean, watching it in the stands, they're – while we had opportunities, obviously, to keep it close, never did you really 
feel that Cincinnati had a, had a chance to win. It just, it didn't seem that way. Watch for me, watching it from the stands. Well, I Uh, felt like we had a chance to win. That was what was frustrating about the offensive performance. It might naturally lead us there, but that, I'm watching I guess that's this what I'm saying. Like, like, Still and Gabriel to fun, fumble the ball. Their offense isn't scoring a bunch of points. Hey guys, it's ten to three, late in the, in the first half. When are we going to score some points? What are we doing? I'm trying to remember what the stat was at the end of the, or near near the end of the sec first half, where it was just obvious like we hadn't actually started moving the ball yet. Um. But it, that's what I'm saying. It, it kind of felt it's, it's maybe it's the uh, watching the offense play that started getting you that way. We're just like you mentioned, we're not in control of this game. They're not imposing their will against us. They're actually not being able to do everything they want, which is put up 30, 40, 50 points on us. But at the same time, we're so inept on the offensive side that that's where it came to me. It's like, ugh, we're just not going to win this. I mean, the Oklahoma fans sitting next to us were from to me we're from ontario canada uh, of all places um this randomly became oklahoma fans uh one year because of bob stoops which story about bob stoops later here uh they were surprised when you know bearcat fans are filing out with you know six minutes left in the fourth quarter and it's it's the score is only six to twenty and it's like well we we've seen what we're seeing it's not going to change in the next five minutes it's just not going to um, but yeah, back to Bob Stoops. So we went down to the, the big noon kickoff. My uh, dad was really wanting to go down there and see what was going on. Yeah, set we're, the we're scene down there. for us here. Set the scene. We should have, you di- should have dived into the environment. Big so noon we're, kickoff, we're, Urban Meyer, Mark Ingram. Take us there. Put us in the, put us at, at, uh, the grid. All right. So we walk down the grid. We make a quick stop to say hi to the councilman, uh, and then immediately marched on. My brother and I have a tradition of shotgunning a beer in the College of Business every time we go to a game. Uh, I don't know why. It's just something we do. But so we go, we chug our beer, and then we head off to the big new kickoff uh, setup. Where first we're sitting right at the back, you know, and they're actually they're telling you, you got to scoot in, you got to scoot in. You know, you got, if you want to be on camera, you got to scoot in. And right, eh, maybe. So instead, though, we, we actually cut through the entire program. We end up right near the state, right next to the stage. And I don't remember the other two people who were with them, but Drake, Drake or Patrick was there. And, you know, during the TV breaks, Urban Meyer would come down and, and we were having a quick chat with him. And I asked him how he would feel if the University of Cincinnati inducted him into the UC Football Hall of Fame. Uh, he, he got a chuckle, shook his head and walked away from me. <laughs> <laughs> that was uh, pretty funny. That was Urban's reaction. That was Urban's reaction. Uh, so then later on, we got we're going to go take a pee before we walk into the stadium. And it seemed like he hated being there. I, I, I did not. I did not get the vibe that Urban Meyer wanted to be in Cincinnati. I was talking to some other Oklahoma fans standing next to us, and I was like, "Yeah, no, Urban Meyer. You know, he played here. Hates it. Cannot stand never know. Here. Cannot stand the affiliation." Truly. Yeah, I cannot stand that somehow he is connected to the school in any way, shape, or form. Uh, so either way, we're we're going to the bathroom. We're, going, we're in the Macon College of Arts and Sciences, and my brother apparently, much more sharper in the mind than I am, notices that Bob Stoops is walking behind behind us and gets a selfie with Bob Stoops. Sean runs up to me. We're walking to the bathroom. He goes, "Oh, that's Bob Stoops behind us." I thought he was. I thought he was messing with us. So I shit you not. I turned around and I say, "Are you Bob Stoops?" He goes. Yes, I am. 
That's all I said. We kept walking. We go into the we go into the bathroom. He goes to take a piss. I'm standing right next to him taking a piss. That's it. I don't know. Probably one of the most awkward situation or performances of my life. Just like, hey, all right, cool. Are you um, Bob Stoops? Your brother yeah. sucks. <laughs> Your brother sucks. Um, so yeah, no. So we met, I guess technically met met Bob Stoops. Also on the flight there, I met if you guys are Marvel fans, Paul Paul Bethany, Bethany, the guy the actor who plays Vision, is also in one of my favorite movies, Wimbledon. He was on the airplane uh, with us going out to Cincinnati. As my wife walks by him, she goes, my husband's a big fan of Marvel. And he goes, he says, uh, oh, well, why, thank you. And only thing I could get out of my my starstruck mouth was, is, no, thank you. <laughs> you just said that a was, lot right there. I need to, I need to push on one thing in particular. Wimbledon <laughs> is one of your favorite movies. Yeah, it's it's a little cheesy chick flick, and I'm here for it. Orlando Bloom, Kirsten Dunst. Yeah, Wimbledon. I had a huge, I had a huge crush on on Kirsten Dunst as a as a as a young lad, and uh, you know it's just a movie I, I was fond of. You know what? She is one of the like if you're a millennial, if you're in your mid 30s, you had a crush on Kirsten Dunst at one point in time, mm-hmm. without a doubt. Boy Soldiers, I think it was, or something. That was another movie I was oddly into because of her in it. But I was really little when that one happened. So Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. This is before the crush phase, but I mean, what about uh, Interview with a Vampire? Are you allowed to have a crush on her at that point? No, that's what I'm saying. That was pre-crush. <laughs> that was pre... I don't even we know. Were... I don't even know. Yeah, that's gross. <laughs> yeah. You know what? Cut, cut the tape, cut the tape, cut the tape. But no, no, you're, you're, you can unpack that all you want. I did like the movie Wimbledon. Uh, I've seen it more than once in my life. It's probably in the top 30. That's insane. That's you. 30. You have to go through any, a lot of movies to get to 30. Any cinephile listening to this has lost all respect for you. I, you know what I, you know what though, maybe they're gaining respect for you for confessing that on a podcast that hundreds of people will listen to. Hundreds, Hummer. <laughs> hundreds. <laughs> well, let's talk. I, I appreciate you setting the scene. The environment was rowdy as hell. We comported ourselves well again as a fan base on national TV in the spotlight. Cincinnati always brings it. The fans in the stands brought it. You guys were loud as hell. I thought the vibes were insane. They were positive. They were rowdy. They were loud. And you could it was captured on the on the Fox broadcast. So from that standpoint, Cincinnati continues to show itself to be a truly big time program. On the field, there's work to be done. And we're going to continue talking about it. There's obviously a reset happening with the program right now when it comes to roster. Our offense is 10 new starters. We have a new quarterback. We have a new head coach. We have a new offensive coordinator who is the same person as the head coach. Essentially, we've got you know just new faces all around, and we saw how rough it could get in the Miami game where the red zone performance was one of the worst you would ever see. Those struggles continued to the same extent against Oklahoma, where again, you know, Emory Jones, completion percentage isn't great, but throws for 235 yards. 
Um, we moved the ball for 141 yards on the ground on 37 carries. In between the 20s, not necessarily the, the problem for the team. But, man, there's just not the finishing touch on offense at this point in time. And Scott Satterfield's the play caller. He's the guy who's responsible for what's happening on the field, really from every standpoint. He's he's the head honcho, you know, defensively, offensively. This is the head coach. Offensively, it, it's insult to injury that he is also the play caller because for two games now, really more than two games, for 10 quarters, the offensive performance has been abysmal. Just to put it bluntly, it's been abysmal. Sorry, I was waiting for your video feed to catch up with what I was hearing. <laughs> yeah, this video is going to be atrocious. And I just, I just want to apologize to people now. I've been playing with my camera off, on, all sorts it's... of things. In fact, what I want you to do, Hummer, make a funny face. We're going to pause the feed for a second. And I want to see if I can get my audio and my video to sync up again. This is the worst. I want to bloom. I'm just going to stop there. Freeze. Yes, we could talk about the abysmal, abysmal offense. And I'm not going to go full apology tour here. After the game immediately went on Discord, was just absolutely taking a dump on, on Scott Satterfield. I don't think he's completely absolved after a few days of thinking on this. I still think there's fault that lies in the camp of our coaching staff for what we're seeing on, on the offense side of the ball. But if I'm circling back around and I'm going full circle to back to training camp, back to camp higher, higher ground where Justin Williams produced an article that discussed Emory Jones and maybe being uh, a little behind the eight ball when it came to picking up the play calls or the schemes or, or what the offense is trying to do. And I think we're still seeing that on the field. I think now that we're playing against tougher you know, not ECU and EKU EKU. I'm not even going to say Miami's that talented dude, because there's no excuse there. Um, but I, I think we're, we're seeing some of that because Emory Jones in my mind has a good arm. We've seen him be able to have it, have the deep ball. We've seen him at times being able to be accurate, but what I don't see Emory Jones is as is a pocket QB. I feel like Emory Jones is someone who we need to bust him out of the pocket. We need to let him extend plays. We need the defense to be able to, to have to choose what to do next. Do we go after him because he can take off and run a la Lamar Jackson, or do we let him run and, and, and we keep covering the, the receivers down deep? I think when we're leaving him in the pocket, he, there's not enough of that in the design QB runs that we have are basically the equivalent of a direct snap, take off and run. I think there needs to be more dynamicness in, in that play calling. And that's where I think that it, 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 re, it resides on some of the coaching staff with what we're seeing there. It's that that's not going to cut it in this league is a direct snap, just take off and run the QB. We have great running backs. They're already planning for the stop, the run, and, and we see that. That's why it's not working in the red zone. We're, we're just hammering the ball up the middle and we're getting stuffed, you know, time and time again. And so I, I think that there, there needs to, they need to figure that out. They need to figure a way to, to allow Emory Jones to extend the play. 
I actually saw us run a little bit of the option, and I, I don't know why, because it's not something I get excited about. But even that actually got me a little giddy. I'm like, okay, we're trying something new. Brandon, I want to see more of that. Like, get him outside the pocket, let the guys run some routes, let a play develop, and then let him make a decision if he sees an opening to take off running or not. I think, for one thing, it seems like a massive stretch to go back now to the Justin Williams article and talk about Emory Jones grasping of the offense after we dropped 66 points against EKU. Like and a division three throwing the ball. Like, all let's over go play high field. school. Let's go have him play high school. He was people who were, were salivating over Emory Jones contending for a Heisman trophy after a game and a half. Not he was on fire guy. against Pittsburgh. Of course, I, I'm not saying it was us, but clearly he understood the offense. He was grasping what the plan of attack was. To me, it's I'm much less – I'm not putting this on Emory Jones. What I've seen over the last two games, to me, is not an Emory Jones problem. Is he a flawed quarterback? Yes. Is he someone who can look downfield, break a pass rush, pull it outside, keep the play alive, and still look downfield for a throw? He's not that guy. He's not that guy. The, the coaching staff seems to be aware we need to run him. That's why he's getting 15 to 20 carries a game. And, and they're trying to trust the arm. But I do agree with you on how and where he's throwing from. Because it would seem to me that moving him outside the pocket more often would be an, a, a good idea in terms of getting him on the move as he's looking downfield and if he if nothing's there, then he has the opportunity to break out. I totally agree with that. I'd like to see them intentionally get Emory Jones outside the pocket to make some of these throws. One of Emory Jones' bigger problems is that the offensive line's really bad. And that's why I'm hesitant to pile on Emory Jones and and any sort of momentum behind we need to bench this guy and go to the the next man up. Brandon Lichten, Lichtenberg. There's legitimate buzz on x.com for going to uh to lichtenberg and it, this is it's what's totally great about irrational. not being on that's what's that's what's great about not being on x.com that often is uh i don't get a i don't get subjected to that um so that's that's madness to me i don't think emory jones has done enough that warrants benching at, of at course he hasn't of course he, it's look don't get me started because there's part of me that's like wow it, it's it's my sense is that it's the same group of people who were standing over Ben Bryant for a season where he was missing throw after throw after throw, but it was like, of course you can't go to the bench. Evan Prater's not good at quarterback. That ended up being true. But why do we think Brady Lichtenberg is the answer at quarterback based on what we're seeing with the offense? None of the problems we're seeing can be attributed first and foremost to Emory Jones. Can he make some better decisions? Yes. Is he missing some open receivers? Yes. But is he the, the root cause of the Bearcats' struggles? No. The play calling in the red zone has been terrible. It's been conservative. And they look to be afraid of letting Emery make decisions in the red zone. And, and my problem with that is this is the quarterback you chose to lead this program. This is who you specifically brought in for year one of Big 12 play. Well, then let him be the freaking quarterback. Let him try and make plays with his arms. You know, like, let's try and actually score some touchdowns. Arms, plural. 
Uh, right arm, preferably. <laughs> let's let's make some plays hey, with our know, right he, arm. He can use the other arm to stiff arm while he's using his legs as well when there's nothing open downfield and they're giving him maybe too much space, right? When If you break him out, they have to make that decision, play soft, play up, play back. So I think you're, I think you're right there. I mean, that's where I'm saying, I don't want to absolve the coaching staff of, of anything. I, I'm, if anything, I'm toning down my rhetoric of like, this is <laughs> what was in the discord. Are you toning yeah. down your discord rants mid game, freaking inebriated as hell on Cincy lights. Yeah. I'm toning, I'm toning it down. Podcast post post four days later. Uh, How many Cincy lights did you drink at the game? I had eight before I got into the game. And I had at least four, if not 16. five, 16 ounces uh, during the game. My man. Uh, my man. I was doing my part to land Cincinnati Bearcat recruits. Tyler Betsy, come on down, buddy. I'm drinking it, booze for you. I'm hearing it cost $5,000 just to get a recruit to come visit your, your campus, your <laughs> campus now. So I figured I'm pretty close to having paid for one visit. It's <laughs> <laughs> good perspective. Um, one thing you mentioned before was about the running game and kind of getting jammed up in the middle. I thought our offensive line did a solid job in the run game, clearing out some pretty sizable holes. Um, Ryan Montgomery goes down early in this game with an injury. And we see Miles Montgomery get some legitimate action for the first time. He he had a different type of burst than Corey Kiner and Ryan Montgomery. I'm sure there's a, a reliability issue there, which is why he doesn't get the reps that his athleticism would seem to dictate. But I really liked what he brought to the table. Six carries, 37 yards, and always seemed to be on the precipice of breaking off a run for 20, 30 yards. I want to see more Ryan Montgomery. Uh, sorry, I want to see more Miles Montgomery against BYU and beyond. Give us that element of explosiveness out of the backfield. Kiner, very solid, very consistent. Montgomery, same thing. They're not going to be a game breaker in terms of busting off these huge 50, 60 yard runs. Montgomery seemed to actually have that type of explosiveness. And he was a, a silver lining for me offensively. That was, that was exciting to see him finally pop off the screen. I mean, I was so inebriated, I didn't realize it was a different Montgomery at the time. That's how it goes sometimes, huh? Uh, I'm going to be honest. I was telling the guys next to us, sitting next to us, the Oklahoma guys, they probably thought I was an idiot. Like, because they were like, who are, who are the players to watch, you know, at the beginning of the game? Like, who who are the studs? And, you know, I was like, obviously, you know, you got to watch out Dante Corleone. Uh, but then, you know, went over and was like, oh, yeah, like Corey Kiner, Ryan Montgomery. I think I even threw uh, uh, Xavier in there. Uh, I, I did say Braden Smith, and he didn't have. You know, he, I don't know what's what's a bad game for. He had another great year. catch. I'll tell you what, Braden Smith is catch. the best player on the team for making a highlight catch every single game. If you make uh, a catch difficult for Braden Smith, he's coming down with it. Yeah. So, yeah, and so yeah. So when when some of those were happening, I'm like, yeah, yeah, Brian Montgomery. People around are probably like this idiot. <laughs> I want to touch on something, and it's the 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 what do we want to call it? The ranting, the pouting, the 
I'm not, the stomping of feet that's happening from a portion of the fan base as it pertains to Scott Satterfield and and his performance so far. He's four games in on what will likely at least be a 36-game stint with the Cincinnati Bearcats. More likely, it's going to be 48 games. You're we're, we're four games in to what you're will at least a, be. You're putting a game timing. You're already counting a game counter on it. I'm using this analogy as a way to talk about how you were ranting in the discord and how a portion of our fan base, including several, which I would have known to be, you know, your quote unquote, rational level-headed people. People are jumping ship fast. And don't get me I wrong, Hummer. Never Hang on a said second. the F word. I never Hang on said a the F word. I was People very careful are jumping not to ship. say the F word. People are jumping ship fast. All right. It includes the people who were admonishing folks like you and I who were skeptical of Scott Satterfield. That's before true. I've never season. really been on the boat. I've never been on the boat. Exactly. I, I'm happy to admit I've been skeptical since we hired the guy. Does it never made a ton of sense? I, I'm still struggling to see the upside, but he's the head coach. And to 180 that quickly and to start throwing around Wes Miller's catchphrase without the up part, it seems a bit premature. All right. And it's honestly, I'm going to stop directing this to all the listeners and fans. I'm going to talk to you. I'm going to challenge you, Ryan Hummer, to find a slant and an interesting way to critique this tenure, because right now I would say it warrants critique thus far, and doing so in a way that's not, I told you so. This guy's bullshit. He sucks. We always knew. Because, look, I understand the temptation, because there was plenty of people giving us a ton of shit for being a little bit skeptical prior to the season. But I want to challenge you to be a little bit more creative with your analysis. Don't the, go full full rant. Don't go full rave. Don't pout. Like, come up with some uh, some interesting creative angles on how to talk about this guy the who's starting his tenure at UC in the Big 12. The definition of insanity is doing something over and over and over again and expecting a different result. Scott Satterfield is not a new name to college football. He's been a head coach for over a decade. He has a 60% win rate at the both schools that he previously came from. One year probably removed from, if not being on the hot seat at Louisville, that let this what would have been this season, probably leading to a firing next season at Louisville. The reason why it's so easy to jump ship is because everybody wants to be excited about this guy, but no one was really excited about this guy. No one was like, oh my God, this is the greatest hire. And if you were, you were lying to yourself because that's not how Correct. anybody truly felt about this. So it's super easy to jump ship when you see that the ship is for at least at the moment taking on water at an alarming rate because you lost to Miami. So yeah, there are some rants that come in there. And when you see it, when, when he helps, Scott Satterfield gave us the ammo when he comes into the Miami game in the locker room, apparently says, guys, this one's on me. No shit that's on you. Because you're the one making these terrible play calls. You're the one who has this team playing the way it is. This is you're the leader of this squad. And then on top of that, you come back and you do something that hasn't been done since 2017. Back to back. This is three losses in a row at Nippert. 
three, sorry, three power five. I don't want to say uh, two losses no. in a row at Nippert Stadium. We also, well, we lost, uh, was, no, that one wasn't at home. You're right. We lost so to Tulane to end the season last year. That's what I was going back to, Tulane. So my point being here is this is back-to-back in-season home losses at Nippert, a place that we're not supposed to lose anymore. And it's super frustrating because what we see is what you just pointed out is you don't want to give any of any of the blame. I don't know if you said the word any to use your own words against you of the blame to Emory Jones. If we're not putting the blame on Emory Jones and we're putting a little bit here and there, most of it goes where to the coaching staff. Right. So that's, let's that's offer, all I can offer see. like offer criticisms. You know, the easiest cop out is to say, Fire Scott Satterfield. I didn't say fire. It's Scott an Satterfield. insane thing to say, but I didn't say four that. games in. I didn't say that. And I said that he's his scheme. I think I used the word schemes are wrong. And I, and someone crucified that, but by scheme, I'm talking just about the way we run Emory Jones, the way we just want to pound the ball at the middle. And it's, and it's a super predictable play in the, in the red zone schemes. We're doing yeah. weird things that they're, they're not even weird. They're just so vanilla that it's readable. It's he's, he's getting I'll tell read, you what, he's what getting read like a children's Bible. Super easy. <laughs> I, I'll tell you what's strange. He came in being known as an offensive guru. You know, any talent concerns we had at wide receiver, quarterback, running back, so forth, offensive line. Schematically, Scott Satterfield was going to make up for those things. He was going to make up for those deficiencies with his scheme, with his ability to get big chunks in the running game. We're going to see it kind of go back to old-fashioned football, run the ball, but we're going to be effective in getting yardage. Honestly, we've been pretty effective in getting yardage, but man, what we've seen in terms of scoring points, offensively, the goal and the name of the game is scoring points. <laughs> it has been bad. It's been bad. And when you're the head coach and you're also calling the plays, I'm I'm of the mindset I do not love my head coach being a play caller. Get out of the details. Or that sounds bad. Stop micromanaging certain aspects of the game. Your job as the head coach is to be the tone setter across the board and to have the big picture view. And you're actually kind of folk, you are kind of hyper attentive to how to improve these certain aspects of the game, whether it be special teams, defense, offense. You have these insights that you can share with your different coordinators and you're sharing an overarching philosophy of how we're going to play, how we're going to coach, what our culture is going to be. You're going to be the culture setter of the program. But instead of doing those things and, and putting all of your effort, time and energy into that component of a head coaching job, you're you're in the, the nitty gritty of the game in terms of calling the plays. And I have to think at some point, you're, you are going to be mentally distracted from the rest of your job, or you're going to be distracted from the play calling standpoint. And I just feel like take a step back. You hired an offensive coordinator. What that offensive coordinator's name is, couldn't tell you right now. And Brandon from Go Beer Cats called me out for, on that for, on Twitter, which is a fair observation. But alas, we have an offensive coordinator. Let that man do his job. Let him be the play caller. And from a pragmatic standpoint, doesn't it offer a buffer for Scott Satterfield where if things do go to hell this year offensively? Blame that guy. Kick his ass to the curb. You're the head coach. You can't be the guy who takes the fall for the offense. 
Uh, is this is this true? Sorry, I was googling something. Uh, this can't be true. I'm on the Bearcats Athletic website, and it this can't be true. It still has Gina. There's a, a website for staff directing, and Gina Gaduli still on it. <laughs> <laughs> That's Gino Gaduli's music. God damn it! <laughs> <laughs> he was so bad too. Man, can we uh, just have a good? Can we have a good play caller, please? It's funny, isn't it? Like everybody's complaint, though. It doesn't matter what team. Everybody's always upset with their play calling. I know it, but in it's, this case, it's like it's legitimately it's, been terrible. Uh, you know what? It couldn't be worse than uh, God. Is it McDaniel's? Josh McDaniel's play calling with the Raiders against Steelers on 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 Sunday night. That. I wasn't watching Steelers Raiders. Why would I be watching Steelers Raiders? It's football. It was on. I was still I was still basking in the glow of Taylor and Kelsey. Uh, either way, I'll enlighten you to what happened. There's like two minutes left. They're down eight, and they get like fourth and you know fourth and fourth and goal from like the four and instead of going for the touchdown and the tie he calls to kick a field goal saying we had enough time to get the ball back and uh they did they got the ball back with 20 seconds left they did not score <laughs> just i did hear about that actually now that you bring it up it's it's ringing a bell but it's, I'm just pointing it out because it's like everybody has that that that's egregious. But you know, Bengals fans, we we've gone down the route of of criticizing the play. Yeah, you know who's like, not complaining right now? Miami Dolphin fans. They're yeah, no, they're not. You know what? They they should be. They they could do Washington both, Husky right? fans. They're not complaining. They, I would be if I were a Dolphins fan, I would be pissed. USC took, Southern California Tua, fans. They're not complaining. You took Tua out of the game and you didn't score a hundred points. You only scored 70 because you took two out. I'd be pissed. <laughs> I'll no, say this. I mean, Let me ask you a question. They'll always find a way to complain about it. If, if, if USC has a bad scoring game, they're going to blame it on the offensive coordinator and play calling. That's what will end up happening. It's just they're the natural scapegoat. Uh, I don't really have a point to that. It's not right. It's not wrong. But in our case, I think it's it, true. It's warranted. I, I agree. It's the easiest thing to, to, to bitch and moan about. We scored six points. We've been abominable in, in the red zone. To me, the play calling does have to be better. I, I try and not be that guy. In this case, it's really bad. And the head coach is calling the place. We have to be better in terms of being less predictable, more creative, more willing to cater to the strengths of the guys we actually have offensively. There's so much. There is speed in our wide receiver ranks. Like you've got Xavier Henderson, who's really good at making catches in traffic, has great size. D Wiggins is fast and quick. And Braden Smith, same thing. Prater has shown flashes on the field. It seems like we should have enough talent and enough unique speedy skills, skill sets out there to, to get these guys the ball in space. Oklahoma's players were catching the ball in space and able to make plays to get downfield after that. Our guys catching balls with, with a defender draped all over them. Emery Jones, generally throwing into extremely tight windows. We need to scheme our guys open more consistently. And if you could say one thing about the team last year, 
Bryant was was throwing to guys and missing them, and they were wide open. Like we had guys running wide open, especially early in the season, all over the field. Um, it's a little different this year, and and we'll see if it's talent. We knew we had question marks about the receiving core. Running backs have been solid across the board. Emory Jones, in my opinion, is still pretty much exactly what, what I would have expected with Emory Jones. Defensive line, living up to the hype, extremely strong, disruptive, leaving an impact across the Big 12. Secondary, huge question mark. Offensive line, huge question mark. Both of them are underperforming. Both of them are not living up to what we needed them to be to be a legitimate threat in the Big 12. And here we are, you know, moving forward in a conference that's generally having a down year. There's going to be a ton of winnable games. Every game should come down to the wire. Every game is winnable. Every game is losable. And it's on Scott Satterfield to to operate in the margins, to help close out some victories and turn this thing around so we don't find ourselves losing three games in a row as we head out to BYU. I want you to rank your biggest concerns. Coaching, offensive line, we're going to do one through five. Coaching, offensive line, secondary, Emory Jones, Kerry Coombs. Rank rank the problems most concerning to least concerning. Is Kerry Combs still still in charge of special teams? Special teams and secondary. So it's yeah, I feel like he gets he's gonna get wrapped up in, into the number one, which is I think coaching is an issue right now. Uh, I think the biggest concern for me is that we have talent. We actually can see that. And for anybody after the game one of ECU and ah, oh, we're so good. Everything looks so great beating up a bad, bad uh, ECU team. I think I do actually think we have talent. I think we have a good receiving core. I think we have solid running backs. The offensive line might be shaky, but I would still say it's, it's, it's not as big of a concern for me. It's not the biggest one is the play calling second on the coaching. My second one is special teams because we're missing field goals. We're, we're getting blocked field goals. Uh, I think hitting hitting a 54 yarder in the same game, but you're right. A couple weak moments here in the last couple weeks. Look, you hit the long ones. That's great. But you got to hit the shorter ones too. Like though, like if you got that opportunity, you got to, you got to nail them. And one of them cost us a game, frankly, or yeah, cost us a game. So, you know, that's, that's unacceptable, but we, we shouldn't have been in that position. Um, I don't know that. I mean, I guess the offensive line would be slightly a, well, Kerry Combs, I'm putting Kerry Combs there uh, because I I still think the secondary is I think secondary is four, and I think I think the players are fine. Honestly, that's what I think. I think it's yeah, the offensive line. Towards... The offensive line is the unit that concerns me the most because Emory Jones has got to get better protection. I think he was that's pressured. Why, that's on, why he's, he's he was pressured on, on something of, like sixty percent of his dropbacks. More than half of the time he dropped back, he's under pressure. That has to be better. And that has to be better, but that's also why it's like out of the player groups, it's concerned. And you know, we're also ranking concerns with coaches in there. It's two different, I think there's two different yeah. worries there. I don't know. So I don't think those are apples and oranges comparisons when you're talking what a coach is doing versus what the players are doing. Friday night, 10 15 Eastern time. You staying up, you'll be up drinking Cincy lights. That's right. I got six, six packs behind me. So six, 12 right. packs. We'll check in. We'll check in then. I'm glad to see you made it back to New York in good health. Stay the course. Go Bearcats. 
we can turn this around. There's opportunity in the Big 12 to, to repair the damage that's been done. But we cannot deny losing to Miami was a disaster. Because this Oklahoma game, we're not all that bent out of shape over it if you had beat Miami. Losing to Miami is a taste that's going to take a hell of a lot of mouthwash to get out. And the best recipe is winning. And it's time for Satterfield and the Cats to start winning some very winnable games that are coming up here. And before I let you sign off, let's just be look, we've done this. We're going to keep doing it. We're not, we're not, we're not bandwagon Deion Sanders fans here. Okay. We're, we're the real deal. We're going to dedicate, you know, the five minutes to a, or two minutes, oh, two minutes God. to a loss. Dion talk. Dion talk is here. Look, can't just always yeah, talk we're about not when posers. he wins. Look, we're, we're not, not, we're we're not, not a bandwagon gambler. guys. We're not a gambler who only posts his victories. Okay. We got to talk about our, lo- our losses and, and take the lashes with them. Deion Sanders took a horrendous loss to, to Oregon. And not only that, it was documented, documentary style for all Ooh. the world to see Ooh. in glorious fashion. Yeah. Oregon's Oregon's <laughs> social media team fire put out put out their, their version of ether. The <laughs> the camera work. The shit talk they captured on camera from Colorado's players. They put Deion Sanders and the Colorado Buffaloes in a body bag with that video. And if I were them, I'm submitting that piece of art to the Academy because that shit should win an Oscar for best documentary. (laughs) Compelling Uh, storytelling. Look what's happening behind the scenes here. Look at this team coming into our house and disrespecting us their head coach seizing the moment putting on a speech which frankly was for the clicks it was for the viral moment and he knew it he's leaning into it he knows too dan lanning knows dion is incredible for college football this man is is elevating college football and the national discourse around college football to heights that we haven't seen in a long long time but you got to have an offensive line and you got to have some players and there's not yet have two. can't have there's two not enough Louie <laughs> on that roster yet to overcome an Oregon roster that looks impressive. Those dudes were hungry. That was some an impressive. YS- we had some YSL. We have some YSL on there. We have some MCM. You know, <laughs> they 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 got some luxury brands over on that that Oregon Oregon sideline. But yeah, I'm not in hater mode, man. It doesn't make me happy to see Dion get blown out like that. I'm still pulling for the guy. And and you're kidding yourself if you don't think that we should have done everything possible to bring him to Cincinnati. And I'll never stop saying it. We said it at the time. It's true to this day. The, the, the marketing, the awareness, the dialogue, the results, the talent, the branding, all it of sucks. it. Everything we, we that comes pro- probably- with that. We have to play at Paul Brown Stadium if you bring him in because we can't. There's not a. There'd be too much demand. It's it's <laughs> wild. The ratings are just bananas. He had the highest rated game of the of the uh, weekend over a weekend that featured Ohio State and Notre Dame, two right. of like the three biggest college football brands in America. Brands. Deion Sanders is his own brand. He is. Um, but man, he got his ass kicked. And he did. If I were, he, it, it, the team shit talking so. beforehand is kind of embarrassing. Like, legitimately, it, it, what are y'all doing? What are y'all caught, doing? They're you beat caught, Nebraska. Okay. You beat Colorado State. 
And TCU, come on. We saw what happened to them in the national championship game, and that was a barn burner between the two schools, right? Like none of these, none of their wins have been, you know, just like off the chart. This is super awesome and impressive. So it is amazing, though, when you look at it from a school that had one victory last year that now they have three, right? You know, so in yeah. one loss. Um, so good, good for Dion. Hope he keeps it up. Hope Satterfield, for, you know, not good for Dion after last week. No, good for, it on the chin. Okay, though, he is it is turning into uh, the, the press conference afterward. You know, the they're not trying to beat the Colorado Buffaloes, they're trying to beat me, and there's some truth in it, but there's also just like, come on, man, like you, you asked for this. This, you asked for this. You're talking smack to everybody. You, you like the chip on your shoulder, you like being the you like presenting yourself as the villain, though I would say that they're just as popular, if not more popular, than they are hated, right? I think if Cincinnati Bearcat fans are rooting against them, it's because you are refusing. Like, you're just upset. You're just butthurt that it wasn't us. And frankly, that's okay. I sympathize with you. I have the same feeling, but I'm choosing to lean into love, which is I still want this man to do well. It's, a, it's an yeah. incredible whirlwind of a, a ride. And he is, he's a, he's he a force be, of nature. He might be in Nipper stadium next year. You know, there's a, there's a chance that he's in Nipper next year mm. Uh, mm -mm -mm. on the, on the opposite sideline. And we're going to be playing a team that's probably going to have a lot more Louis Vuittons on the other side. Uh, either way, I'm looking forward to BYU this week. Hopefully we get the, the, the ship righted. Massive uh, line swing. Bearcats, I think opened up as two and a half point underdogs. They were up to two and a half. Two point favorites last time I checked. Huge line swing on the road some, some on injuries. a Friday night. Lots of injuries. So, are we going to touch basketball? Are we going to leave it alone? Are we going to we going to talk about the crystal ball, or are we just going to? Tyler Pensy, come come to Cincinnati. Tyler Pensy, do it. Come do it. Do it. We're going to drop. Are you able to drop the other the other whisper? Are we able to are we able to drop that? I would just say go to the Whispers channel in the Discord and you'll see that there's some good news on the horizon for the Cincinnati Bearcats basketball team. I'm here. I'm, Cat I'm Stellar Social Club Discord. Check it out. Go Bearcats. Go Bearcats. Go Bearcats. Go Bearcats. Go Bearcats.